0: Cutting through an overload of information to get to the heart of the story. This is The Point.
1: Iraq announces it wants U.S.-led coalition forces out of the country. This comes after U.S. military drones killed a leader of a paramilitary group affiliated with the Iraqi government. Will this conclude the decade-long American military presence in the country? And is the diversity of voices in American think tanks being squeezed out? I spoke to one Chinese-born American scholar on whether American academics can still adequately Inform the U.S. government and public. Welcome to the point and opinion show coming to you from Beijing. I'm Li Xin. U.S. troops out of Iraq after 21 years since the invasion of the country. Iraqi Prime Minister Mohammed Shia al-Sudani made the call on January the 5th, a day after a U.S. drone attack killed a leader of an Iraqi state-backed paramilitary group. The official statement released by the Iraqi Prime Minister's media office called the strike a blatant aggression and violation of Iraq's sovereignty and security. Sudani announced the government is setting the date for the start of the bilateral committee to arrange for the withdrawal of U.S.-led coalition forces from the country permanently since the Palestine-Israel Conflict broke out last October. U.S. claimed its forces in Iraq and neighboring Syria have come under more than a hundred attacks by Iran-backed militants, and the latest drone strike was in response to a mortar attack against its embassy compound in Baghdad. Currently, there are about 2,500 U.S. forces in Iraq and 900 in Syria. Will the escalation in the conflict led to the end of US military presence in the country? How may that affect the situation in the region i'm pleased to be joined from oklahoma in the u.s. by professor joshua landis director of the center for middle east studies at the university of oklahoma and from beijing by her Wenping, research fellow at the institute of west asian and african studies at the chinese academy of social sciences the warmest to welcome to both of you before i go into the question here's a quick rundown of the timeline of u.s. troop interventions in. Iraq. Iraq. Now in March 2003, over 100,000 US troops invade the country to get as part of the coalition forces to topple former leader Saddam Hussein um, in search of so-called weapons of mass destruction. Now that number dropped considerably in May that year when former US President Bush declared mission Accomplished in January next year, 2004, troop level dropped to what's believed to the lowest point. But in August 2007, troop levels surged again in the name of fighting terrorism. In December 2011, U.S. troops fully withdraw from Iraq. But again. In June 2014, U.S. redeploys 275 forces to Iraq to advise and train local security forces. By 2015, that level rose again to a few thousand. And from the end of 2021 till today, U.S. maintains over 2,000 troops to advise, assist and enable local security forces at the invitation of the Iraqi government. Um, Professor Lenditz, let me go to you first. Exactly. How big, as I said, um, the U.S. presence, military presence, is about 2,000 troops. But how big is the coalition forces in Iraq and uh, where are they primarily based at this moment?
0: Well, many of them are based in the east of the country and uh, they are fighting ISIS. And they're also supporting the U.S. troops in Syria. There are about 900 troops in Syria. And there are coalition troops in Syria as well, as there are in Iraq. If the Americans are pushed out, it will have a very profound effect because the other coalition forces will, I think, feel compelled to withdraw as well. The whole edifice will be unsustainable. And with the, uh, the start of the Gaza war, it quickly became apparent that not only did Syria and Iraq and Iran hope to push the Americans out. They couldn't attack Israel directly, but they did begin to um, increase their attacks on American forces. And the big hope is that they'll be able to drive them out. And Turkey as well has been attacking the Kurds in both Iraq and Syria uh, with a tremendous um, firepower executing many of the leaders of the Kurds who are supported by the United States. So this attack and the pressure on the United States is coming from many sides. Mm. And it's, had a, uh, it's escalated in the entire region.
1: Ms. Hu, what are your takes on the possible reasons or the forces behind the increased attacks against the U.S. targets in the region? As I said, over 100 attacks, the United States has reported over 100 attacks uh, against its forces and its uh, installations in the region since the, the Gaza war broke out last October. Who are behind these attacks and why have they been escalating?
2: Well, I think the biggest background uh, for this kind of attack to the U.S. military bases, ov- obviously, that is this uh, Gaza war uh, ever since the last October 7th. Uh, with this uh, Gaza war, Israel and uh, Hamas has been escalated. And then those uh, military forces, either based in Syria, Iraqi, and uh, like Hezbollah in the Lebanon, or uh, even uh, these uh, Houthis uh, now attacking those... Uh, uh, you know, those ships across the Red Sea all can trace all the way to this root causes of Hamas and Israel and the Palestinian, uh, this humanitarian, uh, humanitarian crisis, you know, is uh, being so serious in uh, Gaza Strip. So that's the biggest background. Of course, uh, because those uh, uh, US military bases, those soldiers, like 2,500 uh, based in Iraq and the 900 in Syria, now they are becoming very obvious a uh, target. Uh, for all those uh those forces uh those uh, military uh those forces some even at uh, the isIS those terrorist group now also made this twin blast uh in Iran so I think the motivation behind this isis is also trying maybe to make all those uh big you know turbulence in this uh you know make the storm there even trying to drag uh, Iran uh, in this war uh, maybe drag in Iran directly fighting together with Hamas and then with this Israel. Uh, this is what they wish. Uh, so actually, uh, with all those uh, like terrorist group and also military, uh, those forces facing Iraqi, Iran, and Syria. Uh, of course, uh, in the U.S. Uh, observation, they are all have Iran behind these forces. So they want to do uh, make uh, their voice heard. Uh, they want to make this attack to show the world They stand with Hamas, they stand with Palestinian people.
1: Yeah, you mean the the forces behind these increased attacks against U.S. targets. Um, Professor Landis, what is your point on that Behind the forces behind the increased attacks against the United States? And also the United States has refrained from uh, reacting strongly to these attacks, but on January the 4th, uh, the drone attack that killed Mushtaq Jawad Kazim al-Jawari, leader of the group called Popular Mobilization Forces, or PMF, um, which is affiliated with the Iraqi interior ministry now that attack triggered a very huge backlash why
0: well he is a very prominent personality in the Iraqi Shia community he has um, fought against Isis so by killing him the United States had been very reluctant to strike back at Iraq fearing that the Iraqi government would then have to move against the United States. So what the United States had been doing is when their bases are attacked, even in Iraq, or in Syria, they would attack pro-Iranian forces in Syria. And uh, both Iraqi groups and pro-Iranian groups had big military uh, installations and ammunition dumps that would be attacked by the America. But by killing Abu Taqwa, his his, uh, nom de guerre, most recently, this very high-profile person, it forced the Iraqi government to move on Friday and state that it was going to ask for the U.S. troops to withdraw. Mm -hmm. And America had been resistant to this, but pressure had been growing in America and in the armed forces to say, you have to respond uh, in a hard way against these forces. And it just increased the pressure, and now parliament has swung into action, just as America feared, and it's gonna ask for these forces to leave. Now, we don't know what's gonna happen because there are plenty of groups within Iraq that want the United States to stay. But of course, the Shia community, and Abu Taqwa is a Shia militiaman um, connected to the government, it's gonna cause some dissension within Iraqi ranks. So we're gonna to have to watch how parliament deals with this issue. Hmm. But it's a it's a very clear light to America, that if you escalate, we can push you out. Well,
1: Ms. Hur, did the United States foresee the kind of consequence when they reacted by killing the leader of of, uh, popular mobilization forces, uh, that the Iraqi government will not react strongly as what they have done now, calling for the U.S.-led coalition forces to withdraw permanently?
2: Well, to my understanding, I think uh, when the U.S. made this decision uh, to uh, kill uh, this very high-profile Iraqi uh, leader, they have already thought about uh, these consequences. Uh, Even now, they have been already prepared uh, any worst consequences, uh, even when Israel also killed the number two, uh, this uh, leader of the Hamas. So uh, even the Houthis, all those things. So U.S. has been ready. Uh, But, uh, you know, actually, uh, the United States, after they withdraw their troops completely from uh, Afghanistan, uh, they have made the same decision, saying they are also about to, you know, leaving uh, the Iraqi. Also, uh, by the end, even, uh, say, in the last year, but uh, the, within the situation changed uh, in the Middle East. Uh, you see this uh, Hamas war uh, with the Israel, so all other uh, these things also changed. Uh, plus, uh, like our American colleagues just mentioned, uh, Iraqi, uh, these troops based there, American troops, they want to support also the American troops in uh, Syria. And plus, like Turkey now also has an ambitious goal uh, to targeting these uh, Kurds uh, in the Syria or in Iraqi. So this is a, a other means now, reasons, uh, needs these American troops continue to base there. Uh, plus some, uh, you know, uh, another opinion coming from Pentagon and also American Congress, they are saying withdraw even from Afghanistan is a mistake. So not mention withdrawal completely from Iraqi also will tend to be a big mistake. So those opinions also hold on. The Americans uh, troops completely out uh, from the Middle mm. East uh, for all those consequences uh, like uh, Iraqi maybe now is in the starting the process to kick out American troops completely. I think uh, American side, they have their also their means uh, to counter this kind of move uh, if they don't want to uh, leaving that country
1: the Pentagon did not comment on the announcement uh, from al Sadani's office at least we didn't find many uh, meaningful reaction they only referred to journalists to to the comments that was made by US top military spokesperson calling Iraq a valued partner professor Landis uh, what is the u.s position on this why does the US have has the u.s not made uh, more explicit comments as to whether they're going to stay or not.
0: I think they want to keep this out of the public limelight where they they understand that they're fighting against a reputation because of Gaza, because of the support in killing so many Palestinians. Uh, the Arab world is extremely angry at the United States. And many groups are going to try to use this uh, to push America out. But America still has friends in Iraq. And also, I think many of the Iraqi politicians fear that if the americans leave and they push out the forces that america will begin to place sanctions on iraq and there there are already a number of sanctions on iraq because yeah. iraq is yeah. helping iran um, launder its money and get dollars through iraq so the united states has been warning iraq not to do this but once their troops if they're really forced out um then it, the United States will not hold back and it will begin to sanction Iraq. So this could deteriorate its position. The Iraqis have been trying to play Iran off against the United States. And if the United States is pushed off, there's really nobody. It's going to cause Iran to have much more influence in Iraq and many of the Sunnis and many of the Kurds will not like this. Mm. So it'll, mm. it'll increase sectarian tensions within Iraq, and it will weaken Iraq in its position in the Middle East. Having U.S. forces there benefits Iraq in many ways.
1: Ms. Hur, how do you foresee the kind of changes to the situation or the complexity, the region or increased complexity the region will see if the United States and other coalition forces indeed withdraw permanently from the region? And does the U.S. have other choices but to withdraw its forces, I mean to stay, now that the Iraqis have made their demand pretty explicitly, I mean the, the Prime Minister?
2: Well, uh, I think uh, some people saying if U.S. Uh, troops completely withdraw from that region and then seems Iraqi were in chaos and then maybe Middle East uh, and then we fell into big conflict and so on and so forth. But I don't think that uh, that thing will happen like that way. Uh, look about Afghanistan. Uh, you, US troops uh, you know, completely withdraw from Afghanistan. So have we seen Afghanistan now fell into the big trouble, a lot of chaos, a lot of killing happening? Not happening. Uh, so far, two years already passed. Uh, this Taliban has been governing uh, this Afghanistan also in a very steady way. Actually security situation even better off uh, than before. So same thing uh, when we look about the Iraqi. So, if the U.S. withdraw from the Iraqi, uh, even though some interest groups in the Iraqi, uh, like uh, you know, some politicians, uh, they maybe benefited a lot uh, from the U.S. existence uh, in the Iraqi because they also get a dividends mm. uh, from all those, yeah. uh, you know, the military base. Okay. But actually, I think uh, the people there, uh, especially uh, those uh, different, uh, you know, uh, sectarian those groups, I think the mm-hmm. common ground, common opinion. The majority opinion is they wish the U.S. out. OK, uh, we have to like leave it there. That the U.S. continue base there, oh, yeah. especially ignore, uh, like, uh, Iraqi's sovereignty. We and have to dignity, leave it there, yeah. Uh, when they make Many the drone thanks. attack.
1: Many thanks to my guests, uh, Professor Joshua Landis and uh, Ms. He Wenping. We ran out of time. Thank you. When we come back, I spoke to a Chinese-American scholar who has left American academia. Why did he leave? What does he think of uh, the atmosphere in debates in America? Stay with us. The mother put the porcelain spoon. The mother drew back and poured the little girl back. But the mother did not hear the old voice. The mother.
0: Experience the heartwarming story of a mother's love that knows no bounds, titled The Mother written by Nobel Prize-winning author Pearl S. Buck. It's a story of love, sacrifice, and the universalism of motherhood that transcends race and borders, told through an account of an unnamed mother living in rural China in the early 20th century. Get the audiobook right now at radio.cgtn.com or any major podcast platform. Simply search for the Books and Beyond podcast and key in The Mother. making room for all opinions and seeing events from more than one side. This is The Point.
1: Diversity of views is a feature championed by the U.S., but is it really the case, especially when it comes to China? A prominent Chinese born scholar, having worked as a senior fellow at a world leading U.S. think tank for 17 years, relocated to China last year to start all over again. Although defending the integrity of his former employer, the scholar pointed to the democracy autocracy dichotomy that has penetrated U.S. society and academia as a main reason behind his decision what has caused this formality in American thinking when it comes to China earlier I talked to dr. Li Cheng himself a professor of political science and founding director of the Center on Contemporary China and the World University of Hong Kong I started by asking him why he left the think tank Brookings institution in the first place
3: I had a very good experience at the Brookings. I was really inspired, encouraged by all my colleagues, and uh, uh, there's a wonderful leadership at the Brookings, and uh, etc. I did not experience, uh, you know, kind of discrimination or uh, harassment based on my view, etc. I think I need to make that very clear. But in Washington, it's a little bit atmosphere. I think uh, the political correctness and the the view, uh, when everyone talk about the same policy, you cannot have a challenge. This means there's no thinking. I mean, think tanks supposed to think, supposed to have a forum for dialogue, for debate. But unfortunately, in the China policy, we do not see much debate. So again, I always said that when I joined Brookings 17 years ago, the background as Chinese American is an asset and uh, engagement is, uh, was a policy, but now we talk of decoupling, uh, uh, with, uh, including academic or think tank decoupling and etc. And so certainly that explains that uh, the chance for me to uh, deliver work, to encourage dialogue communication becomes so limited. So I think probably um, it's a time for me to, to move to a different atmosphere for the same goal as a think tank, to serve as a bridge. to promote a mutual understanding.
1: How is that going to impact bilateral understanding? Because if think tanks which are facilitating bridge and dialogue are being, or you as a leader uh, within a think tank are not feeling comfortable, what does that say about what possibly can happen between us if we're not able to to Talk to China. Well, it's exactly.
3: Partly, of course, related with the cover, but partly also related to some of the policy in some corner of Washington, talk about completely the end the educational exchanges with China. It was a real uh, threat and wanted to um, ask American universities to stop relationship with China and also to end some of the long-standing wonderful educational exchanges programs mm. has been around 40 years the fact that uh, uh yes there's a lot of chinese americans maybe 300 thousand in the united states but also very few and according to some it's only 350 american students in china this is not a good service for mm. american interests. i think that uh it's a, it's a big a threat to American interests, in my view, I think that uh, we do need to understand. If you even you think about China as an enemy, and uh, of course I don't buy that. I think it's prematurely to think that way, to lock in that kind of mindset. But of course, China could be a challenge, could be a, a problem for United States. Uh, but on the other hand, I think we should try to avoid the, the conflict as President Biden, as many um, you know, uh, visionary leaders try to remind us. Now, it is true, it's not only just the Chinese American or Asian American, but even look at the, the giant the thinkers uh, the later Dr. Kissinger also was largely marginalized in his final days, and also the, some of the people really inspired. I mean, uh, you know, for example, Bob Zalek, he is a was person talk about China is a uh, responsible, should be responsible stakeholder. He was a deputy uh, secretary of state. But I think this kind of voice, a more rational voice, usually, you know, pushed on side. And um, uh Professor Michael Lampton was ranked as the number one China hand, but uh, hardly you see that he was consulted by policymakers and etc. So instead it's a think, it's a it's a belief that think that we did not have any relationship with with China. We did not have previous experience, we did not visit uh China, these kind of people it's a more clean it's a, it's a more objective i think this is not right mm. we do need to have mm. experience you to yeah. understand this culture chinese history chinese people Absolutely. that's very very important if we eventually ask our secretary to visit china to understand what's going on in china that tells you how terrible the situation america used to be the center of china studies american think tank used to be the gold standard of china but now with this kind of attitude i'm really worried
1: yeah While discussing the conflicts uh, confronting the world today, you also call the the framework democracy versus authoritarianism contradictory to the challenges faced by many countries. And it's insufficient to explain the complexity of the contemporary world. And you said it's unfortunate that the U.S. has been perpetrating this binary opposition between democracy and authoritarianism. Why is this unfortunate and what should the framework be to look at the conflicts in the
3: world. I was educated in the United States, I spent 38 years studying at Berkeley and Princeton, and uh, this democratic framework inspired me and taught me to become what I am. And My research is always uh, talk about the the democratic institutions, how to advance, improve democracy. I still believe that. and uh, Of course, democracy versus authoritarianism is a real uh, issue, but uh, it's too narrow. Why? Uh, to use as, as a uh, go back to the Cold War mentality. I think it's a premature. Now, why so? Uh, first of all, I think many Americans will agree with me um, that uh, domestically faces uh, dem- uh, democracy with authoritarianism in United States. If the United States caught up with this kind of device, how could you interpret it in the world in the same framework? So where is the U.S. located? This is number one. Number two, we live in a time, it's not many countries, including European countries, many ASEAN countries, they don't want to take a side. They see the world as in, uh, more in a multilateralistic thinking rather than a bipolarity, and especially in Europe, most of European countries. But unfortunately, the Russian-Ukraine war make uh, these countries go back this kind of uh, uh, Cold War or block thinking. But uh, we live in an area, many fundamental issues need international cooperation, such as climate change, anti-terrorism, nuclear, non-proliferation, AI development. Uh, But uh, unfortunately, we're still so divided. This is not good things. And I remember that uh, the Pacific Fleet um, a few years ago had uh, an open research uh, report saying that the climate change actually is the most important threat to American security because of water level increase. But unfortunately that uh, report uh, disappeared somewhere, Uh, but we're still obsessed with uh, democracy authoritarianism. There's another important issue. Actually, American uh, um, uh, scholars believe that, uh, of course, there's some profound uh, important changes over the past few decades. One of them, or on top of them, uh, is many countries got rid of poverty with a huge population, uh, 100 million. But uh, interesting enough, uh, uh, among these countries, China topped the most, probably 700 or 800 million uh, from China but uh, ironically china become our number one enemy in the united states so what that mean and how you reconcile this uh, this contradiction hmm. so i think the point is that uh, uh we should uh, try very hard to this simplistic uh, uh, you know cold war uh, kind of thinking we need cooperation of course if there's a real threat from also terrorism i think uh, by no all means we should uh, deal with it seriously but just uh, too narrow and uh, too limited and lose some big picture and also we have difficulties to tell the global south and most of countries probably do not see that one they think economic disparity and uh, some other issues are far more important at this point yeah. so it, this kind of disproportionate Unfortunately, emphasize one issue at the expense of others, I think, that does not serve the interest hmm. of the United States, does not serve the interest of international community.
1: That was Dr. Li Cheng, Professor of Political Science and founding director of the Center on Contemporary China and the World at University of Hong Kong. With that, we come to the end of this edition of The Point with me Li Xin. As always, you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter using the handle Lu Xin in Beijing. You've got the point.